Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our dear, loving, heavenly Father, O Lord, we approach thy mercy seat this evening. And Lord, we come not in our own merits, but in all that our Savior has done for us. We thank thee, Lord, for that open invitation that we are now welcomed as children of the living God if we have trusted in the shed blood of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Lord, that thou dost share with us those truths, those things hidden from the carnal mind. And Lord, thou dost share with us those truths that will guide us through life. Bless this hour, this evening hour, we pray. May it be a help to us. We pray that thy spirit might come down and be with each and every one. For we ask these mercies in our Savior's name. Amen. Our first hymn is number 62. Hymn number 62. Infinite God, to thee we raise our hearts in solemn songs of praise. Oh. Uh-huh. 
Psalms 11 and 12. Psalms 11 and 12. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, and make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. May the Lord bless to us that reading from his word. Sing our next hymn together now, which is number 368. Hymn number 368, Come let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return.
God, once more we approach unto thy mercy seat through the merits of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we marvel to think that in heaven itself thou dost look down upon us. Thou dost hear our feeble cries and prayers and answer to our needs. Indeed, thou hast bidden us to come to thee, to approach thee, to pray to thee, to worship and praise thee. And Lord, it is our delight to do so. Lord, we pray that we might give of our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. Oh, Lord, we pray that during the course of this, the Lord's day, we might be refreshed and cleansed and helped on our onward journey. Oh, Lord, that the things that we hear and share, the fellowship of the Lord's people, might be a strength to our hearts, to our souls, and to our lives on our onward course and journey, on our heavenly pilgrimage. Lord, we do pray that thy word would have its course this evening and through our lives. We pray that we would be a people of the scriptures, a people of the inspired word, that it would be our guide through all the affairs of life. Oh Lord, that we would not lean upon earthly wisdom and our own thoughts and the wisdom of this world. Oh Lord, how enticing and appealing it often seems to be. It has an appearance of wisdom and sophistication. But, Lord, it is treacherous without thee. Help us, Lord, to cleave to thy truth in our day, in our personal lives, as we take up the scriptures, as we read the word, as we pray. Oh, Lord, do help us, we pray, for we know that we are weak, and though our intentions might be wholesome and true, yet often we fade. So, Lord, do be with us. Come alongside us and help us to see and hear thy word spoken into our lives. And we pray the same for the churches, especially in our days. Oh Lord, how much we need to cleave to that word, to be faithful to its every precept and promise and principle. What treacherous times we live in, how much the word of God is attacked and undermined. How many temptations abound us. Oh Lord, the very air we breathe is, as it were, polluted with uh, untruths. Oh, Lord, with deceptions, and we need thy word more than ever. So, Lord, we pray for pastors and preachers, for those who proclaim the gospel, for those who teach from the scriptures to young and old, Lord, that they would be faithful. We pray for those who aspire to the ministry, those, Lord, who would desire to lead a flock in some place, Lord, that thou bless them as they study thy word too. Lord, not only that their minds might be filled with the truth and with the scriptures, but that they might be equipped for this great work, that their hearts might be warmed, that they might understand this great calling. Bless them, we pray. Lord, we pray again for this very church. We thank thee for it over many years and pray that thou keep it going forward and supply the pulpit, if it is thy will, with someone who will be an under-shepherd here, a pastor. Lord, do keep thy people in this place. Lord, we ask for a reviving spirit in our day. Oh, Lord, we so need to draw near to thee again. The churches, Lord, seem to be as flocks scattered in so many cases. And we pray that there would be a revival of heart and spirit in the churches, first of all, that we might be a faithful people, that we might in turn be those that thou mightst use if thou would send down a great blessing before the end comes. Oh, Lord, we pray. 
where there are opportunities, be great or small, to serve thee, that we would be faithful, that we would be those who have words on our lips of encouragement one to another, of help. Oh, Lord, deliver us, we pray, from that critical spirit, oh, Lord, from that unbelieving heart. And may we be those who can share our experience, our spiritual experience, we might have opportunities to witness, to proclaim the gospel. We do pray for members of our families, colleagues, friends who are not thine, who remain outside thy kingdom. We pray for them, Lord. We think especially of those that have perhaps grown up in churches who know the way of salvation, oh Lord, who know about the Savior, have heard about his work on Calvary, and yet, Lord, remain unmoved or untouched. And such were some of us. Lord, we pray for them. Gather them in and keep them bless them, and, and uh, may they be thine, we pray. And Lord, we pray again for the gospel in other lands and in other places. We do pray, Lord, that thou preserve thy people, O oh Lord, where there is great hardship and great danger, we pray that thou keep thy people. And to even those that oppress them, we pray, there would be a powerful testimony. And Lord, we ask these things not because we can achieve any of them ourselves, not through force of effort or endeavor, but only by thy Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for any among us and those known to us who are frail, who are unwell, who, Lord, have been treated for illnesses. Oh, Lord, we all feel at times the weakness of our flesh. And we pray, Lord, that as the outer man perishes, the inner man might be renewed day by day. That, Lord, we would not be unduly troubled by the affairs of this life. Oh, Lord, not that we would be detached or indifferent to them, but that, Lord, we would have a peace as we understand that thou hast allowed all things for our eternal good. Help us, Lord, to process the affairs of life in a spiritual manner. Oh, Lord, applying the truths of the word, may we not be easily swayed or downcast. And, Lord, we pray for ourselves this evening as we open thy word together. May there be a word for each one of us. May there be instruction. For all encouragement and help, and we ask these mercies and blessings in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing our next hymn, which is number 332. Hymn number 332. The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to sight.
We're turning this evening to that second psalm we read from in our Bible reading, which was Psalm 12, which is a psalm of David, King David. And uh, we'll consider it and its themes. It does uh, divide up into very clear and simple themes. And uh, it's where David sets out his lament and cry to the Lord. And it's thought to have been written about or during the time when David was being persecuted by Saul, where Saul had murderous intent and pursued him through the wilderness, and his life was oppressed and in danger. And uh, it fits very well. That uh, notion, that belief, uh, fits very well with the psalm itself and answers to those conditions at the time. Some of the themes are concerning false professors and false believers amongst Israel, At the time, his fellow countrymen and brethren, it refers to their inevitable judgment, that behavior of that type cannot persist indefinitely, whether in this lifetime or, of course, in that final day. And it compares the purity of God's word to their behavior, to that insere form of religion. And uh, we want to look at the prayer of David, because there's a prayer in this psalm, which is most remarkable also. And it's very timely for our day, as is all scripture. It is remarkable. It could have been written exactly for our times. So the themes are, as I said, quite bold and quite evident. Uh, And the first theme really is about false believers or false professors or, to be most charitable, insincere professors. So it could include all of those. And, of course, in ancient Israel, you did have what we call the mixed multitude, where very many of those that were Israelites were not truly spiritual people. They were not born again. There was always that remnant. And so we are not surprised to see this type of behavior and hypocrisy. But it can, of course, infect the church and us. And we can succumb to a kind of false or lightweight type of religion. And so uh, that's the first theme, and it's here in the first few verses. Verse 1, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And so David is pained. He's troubled. He's uh, hurt and uh, downcast, in a sense, at the dearth of genuine believers. The godly man ceaseth, the faithful fail from among the children of men. Of men, So there were few that really loved the Lord and loved his ways. And the number of sincere Israelites was diminishing or were very few. And I suppose this was exacerbated or amplified because of the situation that David was in. So that instead of brotherly fellowship and rejoicing together in the only true uh, God of Israel, there was hostility and division. And carnal things were the affecting and determining policy. So that jealousies and envyings emanating from Saul's camp were polluting what should have been that wonderful testimony of Israel. That they were the Lord's people, that they were distinct. And this troubled very much David. And uh, although David uh, speaks about those Israelites, those insincere and false believers we might side with him, and so we should, of course. So we ought. I wonder if 
uh, we are in any sense like David, that we are also troubled by insincere Christianity, uh, false profession, light-heartedness. He will uh, speak in more detail about how that is uh, exhibited amongst the people. But that's the first point. Does it bother us at all? But the second point is that although we, we might stand with David and think, well, that's terrible that people behave like that. I'm not like that. I would never do that. But we need to be careful and make some applications to our own hearts, lest in any sense, in any measure, we too are characterized by some of the traits that David is going to be speaking about. And uh, so those are the thoughts for us. And in verse 2 of uh, Psalm 12, he says, They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart, do they speak? And so David sees a form of religion. He sees a people who are only here, have only come into being because they were called out, because of their great deliverances, because Abraham, their father, was called out uh, from Ur of the Chaldees all those years ago, because the patriarchs had been guided through the wilderness. Because through the captivity, the people of God had been kept and, and led through the wilderness and had so many deliverances and so many conquests. With that unique history, there should have, this should have been a rejoicing people, a people who had much to speak about and thank God for, to reflect upon how good he had been to them and how special a people they were, not because they were any different to anyone else, but because God had placed his love upon them. But instead, David says and reports, they speak vanity, emptiness, light things, foolishness, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. And so this pains him. Does it pain us? Well, we might expect this of the world, of course. We're not surprised. That's the very character of the world, isn't it? It's not altogether bad, of course. There are many genuine people, of people of integrity and uh, standing. But uh, essentially, the character of the world could be described in this way. People speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. But when it comes into the church, that's uh, a disaster and a tragedy. Are we, or are elements of the church, guilty of this? Light speech, empty talk. Uh, the interests, of course, we can all speak about ordinary things and domestic matters and the world at large around us, and it's wholesome and proper to do so. And we've been given an insight and an understanding to the world in which we live. And so as we look out upon it, of course, we can process it and weigh it up and consider God's ways in the world. So it's not as if, it's not as if to say we are uh, precluded from speaking about many things that are not directly spiritual. But if the very character of most of our speech is just light, it doesn't touch anything meaningful. It doesn't deal with the issues of heart, the welfare of the kingdom of God and of one another, of our brethren, our well-being spiritually, our eternal futures, and uh, the, uh, the, the welfare of the gospel. Is it prospering? Is it stifled? Are these the matters that concern us? Well, David doesn't see this. And uh, I wonder if there are elements of the church that have sadly fallen to this. They speak lightly. 
they flatter everyone and uh, they have a double heart and everything must be light and fun and enjoyable only. Not to say that we're to be those grave people. Certainly not. We should not be known as miserable people and uh, not able to smile and enjoy the good things of life. Actually, that would be a detriment to our testimony. We should be a people who uh, manifest and show forth and exude a joy and a peace. But it's not a superficial one. It's not one where we will laugh uh, and enjoy something, but then behind the scenes we're talking behind the backs of people. That's what's going on here. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips. And isn't that the society we live in today? Aren't we all wonderful? Aren't we all people on social media? Well, I speak probably, I assume, to most, mostly to the younger people uh, who are involved with this sort of thing. But it's all about self-promotion, isn't it? And uh, flattering one another. And don't you look wonderful? And you must come across as successful. But it's all for appearance's sake. And uh, there's dangers there for all of us in one way or another. And with a double heart do they speak. And uh, they look, overlook sin. They uh, overlook backsliding, and uh, both in themselves and in others. They have a double heart. So what that really means is that the person that you see and interact with is not the real person. The real person is someone else. This is a pretense. This is an act, a charade. And perhaps to some extent we're all guilty of it to some measure. But we hope and trust that as believers we, uh, to a very small proportion, and hopefully not at all, so that the person you speak to is the real person. And there's nothing hidden, but that's the character of the world. And it can be the character of the church, and it has come in to certain churches. So we need to be careful about these things. And like David, we hopefully are pained by it. It's not a matter of indifference or taste. There are those that might say, well, this is just a matter of personal choice. If one church worships in this manner and they have all sorts of fun and games in the church and another are grave, well, that's just a matter of choice. But not according to David, not according to the scriptures. We must honor God. You must have integrity and straightforwardness in all things. And so there it is. The applications are for us. May there never be falsehoods that are peddled as Christian experience. We need to be so careful about that, that we don't succumb to this pressure. It is a pressure. There are people that, even in other churches, why are you see people so serious? Why do you read that old Bible so much? You know, why do you honor the Lord's Day? It's not necessary. We're freed from those things. We have the law of liberty misapplying the scriptures. So there are pressures on us, and we are not to succumb to them. We're to stand our ground, and the Lord will cut them off. This is the next point. So we've talked about false believers. That's the first theme. There's really just three main themes, but there's a fourth that I'll touch with at the end. So the first main theme is about false or insincere believers, be they others or potentially ourselves. We need to always make the application to ourselves. But there's a warning here. If that is 
the way in which you behave as churches, as individuals, there's a warning. The Lord won't tolerate it indefinitely. For a time, you might think that you're blessed, that you do have happy times and happy fellowship and you can do all sorts of things that are hidden and you can flatter one another, but it won't last. And that's the warning. Verse 3, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. So there's a caution here. Our Lord will not tolerate hypocrisy indefinitely. Thankfully, he is very patient with us, else we would all be judged often, again and again. We thank our God for his long-suffering toward us. And if we exhibit some of these traits, then he will deal with us in a kindly way. But if we don't respond and persist and indeed increase in that type of behavior, then uh, his patience will run its course and we will be disciplined. And uh, we will regret that, that, that we've taken that route. Now, if we're speaking about unbelievers, then they too, if they never come to faith, to salvation, they will face judgment. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. We need to be careful, don't we? Pride, that chief of sins. The Lord will not tolerate it. It's an offense to him. It's foolishness. It's actually an offense against ourselves because we claim things for ourselves that are simply not true. And if we have done well, well, it's not to our credit, but the Lord's credit that he's blessed us with abilities and opportunities. So pride never to be there, and it will always be judged. So we need to be careful uh, that we don't fall into these things, and we need to be careful that we don't have love of the world, although that term is not actually used here. It's by this means that people can enjoy the world and depart from the claims of the Scripture, but then be in church, professing to be God-honoring people. It's because of the double heart and the flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. And uh, uh, we need to be careful that this isn't us. In verse 4, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That independent spirit. And uh, I've been saying uh, this evening that most of this almost certainly applies to people who are not really genuine, who are not spiritual people. But in a measure, they apply to us. And if I just read a few verses now from the epistle of James, he does apply this particular uh, issue to believers. So James is a letter written to believers. And uh, James talking about those that would make their own plans for their own lives without consulting the Lord, who will say, in a sense, perhaps are not quite strong things, who is Lord over us? I will do as I please. I may give lip service to God, but essentially I, I run my own life. And James says in chapter 4 and verse 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that, rather than making our own plans. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. 
Well, I've said all along, I'm mostly speaking perhaps to those who are not believers. James is speaking to believers. And he tells them that this independent spirit is evil. And uh, it's to be repented of. Uh, All such rejoicing is evil. But coming back to our passage, Psalm 12, there are further uh, symptoms of the insincere life. And here it is in verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. You see, those who are insincere, those who are not truly spiritual, you can see by the fruits of their lives. They may claim great experiences, but they overlook the poor. They don't notice those in need. Perhaps in society, yes, by all means. We're not exempt from uh, responsibility within communities just because we're Christians. We are to support the oppressed and the, ne- and the needy, but more especially for believers. Look at the character of someone's life. Are they caring people? Do they notice brethren who are in difficulties and in deep water? Are they able to come alongside them and offer those words of help and encouragement? Perhaps something practical. Or do we harden our hearts a great danger, isn't it? We can come across, all of us, so warmly and apparently sincerely, but we can see great woes and difficulties uh, on every hand and not respond in any way for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now, I must uh, not only apply that to the gospel, but I do want to apply, apply that primarily to the gospel. But lest we think, as I said, we are exempt from caring in practical ways, we're not. But I think that this passage also would apply to the, the poor of spirit, the poor, rather, who don't know Christ, who have no uh, heavenly wealth, who are outside the kingdom. And they're oppressed by their sins, by this vain world. And they're sighing, they have great needs. Do we care for this perishing world? And uh, that'll be a great test for us and our sincerity. And uh, now I will arise, saith the Lord. The Lord will respond to these things. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So the Lord perhaps is speaking here about the attacks. Him that puffeth at him. Those proud, boastful things that are made against believers. And if it is the case that this was written when David was in the wilderness fleeing from a Saul, then uh, this would be great comfort to him. Those that puffet him, those that want his life, then he knows that the Lord will be his help and uh, he will protect us and keep us. But that's the second section. So we've had a treatment of, a look at insincere believers, insincere professors. We've had a look at judgment that the Lord will not endure it indefinitely. And then this third major section, which is so uh, beautiful, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And I think I need hardly point out the contrast between what's gone before and what is now declared. The difference is stark. 
You've got on the one hand this nation of Israel that by and large is insincere, whose hearts are elsewhere, who are hypocritical, who speak light and vain things, who are, have a double heart, who don't value the word, the testimony, the truth of God. And then on the other hand, the scriptures, so different in character, so uh, magnificent, really, rising up, immovable, unchanging. How different to fickle men and women like you and we can be, you and me can be so often. They're pure, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. There's no impurity there. There's no dross whatsoever. It's clean. It's soaring. It's eternal truth. That is a description of the word all through the pages of the Bible. And how precious that is, set against the behavior of those that at times claim to be those that believe in the word of God. But do their lives match up to it? And so, like David, do we appreciate this precious word of God, this pure, deep, profound, revealed truth from on high? And uh, we should cleave to it, lest we slip into some of those habits and practices that we've been considering. And then there's this also in verse 7. Not only is the word precious and pure, verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And that's very reassuring, isn't it? In every day and age, but especially in ours, that this word of God is unchanging. We need never be ashamed of it. It is our sufficiency always, in all circumstances and in all times, and in all trials and in all tests. And we need to have that focus. If we're overwhelmed by the world, if we're troubled, if we lose sight even of our blessings, we need to be reminded of this eternal and unchanging truth. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And it is so. Through all the centuries, through all the history of the scriptures, we still have them, despite every attack. More could be said, but time is running on. And this last verse, before I come back, it's a warm night, but I haven't quite finished, to verse, verse 8, this verse is a kind of summarizing verse, and it really resounds, echoes with truth in our day. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. I think I need hardly comment on that, really, because we just look around us. And we see that uh, the most unlikely and unsuitable people are those in places of influence and power. And uh, David feels that keenly, but he's assured. But now I want to look, as we look at the final part, at David's prayer. Now, we might have missed it, and I intentionally hurried past it. It is very short, and it's in the first two words of Psalm 12. Help, Lord. That's his prayer. Yes, he does dilate upon what's on his mind, but he's really laying out his complaint. His plea and request is just in those words. Help, Lord. So it's not just a lament and complaint and reflection on the state of affairs at the time. 
but a prayer. And there's so much help over uh, in these word, words. It's the simplest of prayers. I can't imagine that there's a simpler prayer. Help, Lord. But it's so eloquent. It actually says so much to us. It's heartfelt. It comes from the heart, doesn't it? That type of prayer. It's not practiced. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't prepare prayer. We should be thoughtful and consider the matters and the issues that we wish to bring before the Lord. Yes, we must do that. And there are so many examples of that in the scripture. But at times, a prayer that just leaps from the heart is what we need and is suitable for the occasion, for the moment. When we're overwhelmed, when we're weak, when we are troubled, when we're discouraged, what a prayer to pray. It's eloquent, despite its smallness. It says so much to us. And there are many examples of prayer in the scripture, of course. Many examples of more detailed prayers, longer prayers. We have the pattern prayer, of course, which is recorded in Luke 11 and Matthew 6, where the order, the ideal order, if you will, if you like, is set out, where that is the best way to pray, where it contains the priorities of prayer and the elements that should be included in prayer. And so as a rule, as time permits, we ought to follow the pattern prayer, absolutely. But it's not the only example of prayer. In that pattern prayer, of course, there's the objective worship to our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. So there must be reverence. And we set our mind ready to know who it is we're praying to before we rush into all the other things that are troubling us. But we know it's actually the first words are our Father. So that's a, a wonderful uh, uh, provision for us that this infinite, almighty, holy God, hallowed in the heavens, is none other than our Father, and we might approach unto Him. So there it is. And in that pattern prayer, I won't spend too long on it. The order follows the prosperity of the kingdom, the desire to see God's rule and will implemented, then our daily needs. Only further down the list, you see our daily needs. We might want to put those further up the list. I've got a lot of needs right now. I want to get to those. But no, they come further down. And then repentance. Maybe we feel rather burdened by guilt. Maybe we've done wrong. Maybe we want to be right with the Lord and we urgently want relief and we want to just repent to the Lord. And that's right. But it's not the first priority. So that we don't spend time just with ourselves. We still have a duty of prayer for the kingdom, of praise to him, for our daily needs and those of our families and others also. Prayer for spiritual safety, the doxology. So I'm just mentioning that because uh, there are other prayers, of course, throughout the scriptures. But at times we can pray in this manner and our Savior intercedes and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. And so you might think, that's not a prayer. Help, Lord. How can we tell the Lord? How does he know? But the scripture tells us he knows all things before we ask them. And even what we might think are our best and most eloquent prayers 
are really so insufficient and so miss the mark. But the Lord accepts them through the merits of Christ. And uh, the Holy Spirit itself, he intercedes for us. There are examples of short prayers in the Bible. We could spend, uh, give you many, but here are a few. You remember the man who said, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Just a few urgent words. And of course Christ heard them. You remember the thief on the cross, his short prayer, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Short prayer. Was it heard? Was it uh, too short? Did it not meet the criteria of an eloquent, long, full, structured prayer? No. That thief was assured then and there, absolutely. His prayer was heard. And uh, another one. God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee and the publican, Luke 18. Well, these are evangelistic examples, but there are others also. So just as we conclude about this prayer, it's direct. It's immediate. There's nothing hindering us. There are no clouds, no confusion. There it is. I have a need. Lord, help me. Lord, help. It doesn't even have me. That's implied. Of course, in this prayer... There's no intermediary. There's no priest. There's no other person. There's no other organization. There's not the church. It's just you and the Lord. Help, Lord. And it says to the Lord, Lord, you can do all. I can't do this. You are Lord, that term. You are infinite. Your power is endless. When I pray that prayer, it says everything. I have a need. You have all the sufficiency to answer my prayer. We are needy, and he's able to help. We cannot imagine on our own. It could be an emergency prayer. Perhaps suddenly you have an unexpected opportunity to witness to someone, and you don't know what to say. Help, Lord. That'll help. What about the sudden temptations? They come upon you fiercely. And you perhaps feel yourself weakening and succumbing. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. You're in danger. And David felt something of that. And surely his prayer, his example can be ours also. It is a summary of all prayer, really. That's essentially what all prayer is saying. Help, Lord. It's the heading. It's the overall prayer. And all other helpers fail. But then just to conclude, the assurance, lest we needed it, but it's there in many parts of the scripture. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. So those are just a few thoughts on that short psalm of David. Amen. We'll sing our concluding hymn, which is number 382. Hymn number 382. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes.
Now, our Heavenly Father, as we go our own separate ways, we pray that thou bless us in the coming days of this week, that we might be a praying people, a people that lean upon our Savior, that rejoice in thy truth and in thy word, to keep and bless each one. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one of us, now and forevermore. Amen.